Welcome to Market Proof Marketing, the podcast from the Marketing Minds at DoConvert.com, where we talk about the current state of all things digital and how they impact home builders and developers around the globe. We're not here to sell you. We're here to help you and to try and elevate the conversation. I'm Kevin Oakley, and with me today, as always, is the ad doctor, Andrew Peak. As always, episode 110 with Becca and Bryce. Hi. Hi. That's like two highs, two almost the same highs. This is awesome. So we have recorded or tried to record two other guests in the past week and a half. And the first one, I don't think I talked about this. I, we had a great conversation with a great person who you, you will hear from eventually. It was fantastic. One of the best interviews ever. And I hate Zoom. We switched over to Zoom here. Do you convert for everything? But I hate it because it makes you hit the record button twice. Hmm. And so I thought I was recording a great conversation. That, but so, oh, no. so one... One time in three years. I mean, it took three years for me to the make whole, this mistake. The whole thing. But we have a guest this week. Keep your fingers crossed because our other guests have had to reschedule. Hopefully, this week's guest doesn't have to reschedule. If so, it won't make any sense when later on there is no guest, but I'm talking about it now. But we're going to leave this in no matter what. <laughs> Tennis, it's, we're all about <laughs> transparency here at Do You Convert. All right. Let's um, kick off story time. Becca, we'll let Ooh. you kick us off. Well, the hot market seems like it has marketers scrambling to keep up with new communities that are maybe pushed ahead of schedule because all of the existing communities are closing out ahead of schedule. Lots of gapping happening right now. People are yeah. like, we just selling out too fast. Yep. Yep. So I've been busy adding new communities and closing out the old ones. Make sure our ads are accurate. I used to say all the time that I thought builders should have like parties every time you sold a community completely out. Yeah, for sure. Why are we not celebrating the fact that we're doing this? But right now, if you did that, that'd be a lot of cake in the virtual break room for sure. Be a lot of cake. You're having a party every single time. When the model home sells, that's when the party is. And and Bryce, your your story time thought segment kind of connects directly to this one. Yeah. So over the past two weeks here, I've watched all the builders have the same trend having high sales volume with low inventory, which made me think of how we can utilize that with different marketing strategies for the new communities Beck is referring to um, for pre-sale. Yeah, and maybe being more aggressive than we typically are. We were on with someone. I think actually that was the only call that I did by myself, I think this week. Was it lonely? Um, Now that you have... uh, It felt like old times. Yeah, I I wish I had someone else on there with me. But... They were like, yeah, we've got these two new communities, but I don't want to put them on the website because I'm afraid it'll cannibalize what we have already. And that's hmm. always been a fear. It, I think the first version of pre-sale that I wrote actually talked about being careful about that back in 2009, 2010. And then when I made version 3 that became the real book, I took that out and said, there's really no way that that's possible in today's market because you're getting in new prospects and if you're unable to tell them information about exactly when it's going to launch or what the price is or what the product is, not everyone's going to wait forever. They can't wait forever. Like right now, there's this thing happening called the pandemic that's causing people to need to have different or more space in their home. So I, I don't think that's a fear we need to have. And so Bryce, your point is, is right on the money. That being aggressive with pre-sales right now is certainly an opportunity where, where you might go out a little earlier than you have. And, and several of our builders have done that. And one of them is DeYoung, who has 
continue to have the amazing success. We're like, you know, this is a little bit earlier, but the whole team is chomping at the bit. Customers are chomping at the bit. Why are we holding this back? And the only thing I'll put out there for discussion that, that historically I think has been a challenge, but in today's market, we may not need to be as concerned is profitability on those homes. So the earlier you go to sale, the potential danger is by the time you actually go to build that home is lumber. I, I saw something where lumber is up um, significantly over the last month. Mm-hmm. And so that's a big percentage of your total house cost, your sticks and bricks or cost of goods sold, as we say. That can be a big hit to the bottom line. So there, there are ways to get around that though. And we work with a builder who takes a $1,000 non-refundable deposit to secure a home site. And they don't tell you what the base price of the house is going to be. They might give you a really broad range of where it's likely to start. Interesting. But you don't know exactly what you're getting into, but you're giving them $1,000 that you can't get back no matter what. And so you're that committed. protects their base yeah. pricing. And they're able to go out and do this really when the, when the land is just beginning to be developed. So no streets, certainly no models. I wonder if that process brings people in that will end up purchasing floor plans that are in the mid to high range of the community versus those who are like, oh, I'm not really sure. Like we might or might not be qualified. We don't want to lose a thousand. But those who are like, oh yeah, we were qualified. We could spend whatever we want to. Like if the, that makes or sense. Or if it drops them down. It does make sense wise. because you can't really advertise the starting price from the closest $10,000 range because mm-hmm. it might be six months before you get there. That does it's very plausible that that's the case. The whole thing though, still to me seems kind of nuts and and we haven't worked with this builder too (laughs) long. So they might be nuts and we'll come back and tell you that it all is nuts, but they're also, you know, saying that 90% of those sales end up sticking. So only a 10% cancellation rate selling out at an entire, you know, 70, 80 home site community before a model is built. Now sell out versus reserved. Maybe that's a language thing, but, my point here is just that in today's market where the demand is so high, could you always get away with that? Maybe not saying, give us some money and we'll build you a house someday here in this location you love. <laughs> someday. Might, might not always work, but right now it, it might. It, it just might in certain parts of the country. Yeah. But I think in general, Bryce, there's no reason not to be putting those communities that are coming soon on the website sooner and sooner because everyone's looking right now. Yep. And, and I think there's there's a fear of missing out for what is available now and then in the future. Like we had that situation where there's two different sides to our community, different names, but it's you know 100 yards from each other. We could get the perfect home site now or we could wait six months and there might be a better home site. But then this one we have now we could get is perfect. So we were like, which one do we do? Either way, there is the, the fear of missing out on the better home site. And how crazy is the market right now? Well, that's my story time segment here. I was on a call with Dawn from Tilson Helms, one of my one of my favorite marketers, if for no other reason than her amazing sarcastic wit. Yeah. Unfortunately, she likes uh, a football team that's main main color is orange, and so mm. I have a problem with that college football team. But she's great, and she was telling me a story about someone who was purchasing a home or listed a home and it sold for $30,000 over asking price. And one of the conversations that was happening was, hey, just so we know, this home may not appraise for this value. So we need to check that out. 
And the mortgage lender came back and said, it was like a Jedi mind trick. We don't need to see your mortgage appraisal. What? This isn't the mortgage appraisal you're looking for. They just said, nope, we're good. We'll, we'll give you the money for the sale of this home. Wow. And we don't need to touch it. That's now, the crazy. market is hot, but that's, that's truly terrifying. It's the first time yeah. since all this has happened that I've really felt like this is a, a pure flashback to days beyond. And I have a feeling... So I did a quick survey because I was that freaked out about it in the Market Proof Marketing Group. No. And I told the story and I said, hey, quick poll. Are you guys seeing stuff like this or is it still kind of squeaky clean by the rules, by the book in terms of mortgage lending? And thankfully, the vast majority, in fact, everyone said, no, they're not hearing these kind of stories. So if this is truly a rare occasion that Don just happened to be privy to, that makes me feel much better because that is truly terrifying. And now here's the big but in the Pee Wee Herman's Greatest Adventure terminology. (laughs) We've all seen that movie, right? Unfortunately. With the bicycle. Everyone's got a big butt. Okay. So the big butt here is (laughs) that most builders are not working with what we call um, non-bank lenders. And I have a feeling that non-bank lenders have a different set of rules that they have, that they're able to play by. And that's why, as we said before, you can have something like Rocket Mortgage, which is push a button, get a mortgage. Mortgages probably shouldn't be easy enough to push a button and get. (laughs) So... My hunch is that these non-bank lenders are trying to grow market share by doing some of these practices. That's still equally terrifying. Mm -hmm. It's good that it hasn't hit home building yet, but there's a potential. And there you can go, if you have an extra half of a day sometime to go down this black hole, go and research more about who non-bank lenders are, what they do, how they do it, and how they significantly contributed to the Great Recession uh, before us. Banks are certainly involved too, but non-bank lenders at a different level. And so that is still terrifying if this is kind of happening outside of the purview of home building. But in the existing side of the business, uh, Sharon Carpenter, if you're listening, I I need to hear from you. He's a real estate agent uh, who I know and trust. If you're hearing about this, let us know. If anyone else is hearing about this, let us know. Because that would be a pretty clear sign that we still don't know when, but danger is ahead at some point, for sure. That's how crazy the market is. That is crazy. Also, if anyone here somehow gets a no doc, uh, (laughs) a no doc (laughs) loan where you just have to tell someone how much money you make and they give you a loan. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. For those of you who weren't there, that happened. That was a real thing. Yeah. All right. Moving on to the news. More about inventory, mortgage rates, and demand from CNBC.com. Mortgage rates set yet another record low. But home buyers have pulled back is the headline. And they go on to say that mortgage application volume rose another 5.1% last week compared to the previous week. So mortgage applications are up. Refinances are up. When they talk about the fact that home buyers are down, that's pending sales, fell back 6%. So negative 6% for the week. But it was still 16% stronger than a year ago. Yeah. So that annual comparison was cut in half. So last week it was, do the math with me, 33%. <laughs> is that right? 32%. That sounds right. 16 plus 16 is 32, Kevin. I, yeah. Yep. I like 33. So it was 32% better year over year. Now it's only 16% better year over year. It's still up. That's a good thing. But one side of me says, is that just because, and this has been an ongoing joke now for those of you who interact with regularly, that all the homes are just sold. 
Did we sell all the homes? <laughs> all of them. And Every last one. Uh, my friend, uh, Mike Del Prete, uh, who has a fantastic site, MikeDP.com. D yeah, is in dog, amazing. P is in poodle. MikeDP.com. He says, yes, more or less, the homes are all being sold. And so still, yeah. as of right now, uh, the number of active listings year over year across the country, according to Redfin data, is down 25%. And so that's potentially the reason why, because home builders, we're certainly not seeing this 6% decrease or any decrease as far as I can tell. And so I think it's more the existing homes just continue to not be in the, in the marketplace. I was playing poker with a church group. Yes, apparently oh. that's a thing. That's and uh, someone, their wife was a real estate agent and they said, yeah, they had 39 offers on a home the first Ooh. day that it was available. Wow. What do you even so do with that's... 39 offers other than like, no, no, no. Like you have to quickly say no to a lot of them. Yes. Yeah. You like, say this is, and this goes back to a story we've told before. Yeah. Send your best and final. Thanks. If, cause customers get frustrated. If you, if you know someone who's like, man, the existing home market is just so, they're not going to say the existing home market, but the home market's so crazy right now. I can't get a house. Guess what you can do? You can go buy one from a builder and it's yours. Like no one else can steal it from you. So yeah. we don't know when you're going to get moved in but it's going to be yours, yours and no one else can take it from you. And it's All right, new. moving on to our next news item. This one's from marketingland.com. Work from home, digital marketers and tech workers are more productive and burned out. Opportunities and challenges abound in the new work from home economy. New because it's not new for everyone, but new for a lot of people. That's interesting. Yeah, that's true. And so the, I'll give you the quick premise and then we can have a, a fun little discussion here. The main premises are that high productivity and stress are going together in the work from home because people do have more time. But instead of just taking the time that they're gaining from not commuting or not you know, grabbing coffee in the break room and talking to someone for 10 minutes, they're taking all of that time and more. Mm-hmm. And so that's causing additional stress. Becca's shaking her head uh, in agreement <laughs> on that one. Um, the other one just talks about there's this other thing that people are doing while they're working from home, which is trying to change where they live. So burnout is causing people to look for other jobs. Advertising, 44%. Healthcare, 43%. Finance, 42%. Top three fields where people said burnout was driving them out of their current companies. Wow. So these industries in particular healthcare. are particularly impacted. And they're looking at potentially moving geo- geographic locations too. So there's more stress for you. Okay, initial thoughts before I just keep steamrolling because I've had too much coffee. <laughs> I switched to decaf in the afternoon because I, oh, that's, I that's sleep a great, better. That's a lie. That, it's fake. You've it's heard of the concept fake. of the Antichrist. That would be decaf coffee. But it's like minimal caffeine. There's still caffeine in it though, right? There's like... Uh, depends on what you get. Who knows? Yeah. I agree with that. I think for me, mentally, because we've been work from home. I've been work from wherever. That's what I guess. It's, work from wherever for like five years, I think. Yep. Having some car time is good for my brain just to like listen and not have to mm-hmm. read or focus on something else. But even if I'm listening to YouTube or a podcast, um, it's good. So I try to I try to take a break doing something where I just pretend like I'm in the car. <laughs> That's embarrassing. <laughs> oh yeah. That they're like a weirdo. Dad, I just lay on the floor. See, you lay on the floor <laughs> or something. Because you need otherwise you'll just I like I don't, you will just be working all day. Like if I you're think... sitting at your computer, you're working. Like you don't 
yeah. and say, Hey, what's going on? Like, how's your day? Like talking to someone else. I think for the first year I worked here, Andrew would be like, take a break. Cause take I would just start in the morning and work all the way through. And then I yeah. could feel the mental fatigue come in. He's like, no, take a break. So I started taking a break and all of a sudden things like I started catching things that I would miss earlier. And then now I make sure that I take a lunch break every day. And then I try Good. my best that when I'm done, I'm done. Although occasionally I come back and finish things if somebody's got like a rush or something yeah. late at night. Yep. And, and interestingly, it says that study that Stanford did in 2017 found that work from home employees were considerably more productive than in-office workers. However, the workers don't agree with that statement. It's funny. (laughs) Workers sometimes report that the office is a more productive environment. Hmm. And I think this is all getting around the issue, but I have a feeling that we're not really talking about the issue, which is that the opportunity to tell yourself you're working when you're working from home is different than actually working from home. And this is where a lot of people get confused. They Hmm. think... Working is the is the act of sitting in front of your computer, and that's not working. That's not, like no. you that's can be working your no. while you're mowing the lawn, or do, or you know doing gardening, or <laughs> or heaven forbid riding a horse, Becca, because uh, those <laughs> things could kill you. They can. But <laughs> you can be working, and and I, what I mean by that is there's a whole bunch, and there's going to be a whole variety of takes on this. But I definitely know people in my own life who would tell you that they worked 10 hours today. But I promise you, if we watched them, they were working for five minutes and then they were doing something else and then they were sitting back down. And, then, and if you remember, Mike Lyon has talked about this for a decade now. Multitask switching is a lie that we tell ourselves that we can do it or it's possible. It is, it is possible. It takes a lot more energy to switch tasks throughout the day. and so. You know, Becca, what you said about taking a break only works if you truly sever the cord. If you're taking a break and then checking your phone, you're micro task switching. You're not spending time with your horse. Andrew, you're not spending time with your kids. Bryce, you're not spending time with your boyfriend. You're still working. And yet that type of productivity doesn't work at the end of the day. Like, this is what I think is interesting in terms of the metrics we're using to determine productivity. Are we talking about how many emails you sent? Because that, again, that's like communication around work. That's not really work. It's not really work. Mm-hmm. A- and so, yes, you could be very productive by saying, I've got a, I've got a zero inbox. Okay. But is that because you just deflected all your emails back and asked a question to every person who asked you a question? <laughs> Tell me more about that. <laughs> or did you actually do work on each one of those emails? So uh, to me, the thing that's helped the most is saying, it is not about how much time I sit in the office but how much time I am giving to work in a focused way. Mm-hmm. And that often means saying, I'm committing to spending more than a half hour working. Because then you get in that state of flow. I, we talked about this, I think, from PCBC or uh, someone at a conference that, we, that I attended anyway, was talking about getting into a flow state. And that's where you're, you're working and, and everything's just working so well that you don't realize, oh my gosh, it's five o'clock. Mm-hmm. that's not the type of work that produces high stress. That's the, oh my gosh, this is, mm-hmm. I'm in it. I feel good. I'm getting stuff done. I'm productive. So what adds to the stress is when you tell yourself, I worked 10 hours today and I don't know what the hell I got done. Mm. 
That's when stress builds. Yeah. And usually that's from task switching too much. Yeah. I agree. Better Reach to it. have a list and check <laughs> things off. So at the end of the day, you're like, these are the things that I did. Yeah. And here, Melanie Oakley, if you're listening, I'm, I am yeah. talking about you. Okay. But to be fair, I'm not talking about everyone else's spouses or significant others. But this is things that people who don't work from home or who work from home in a different way don't understand. And that is they're like, what's the big deal? Like, Kevin, why do you keep your office door locked? What's the big deal? It's because I have to protect myself and insulate myself. And it's not a big deal to you. It is a big deal to me. And if you want me to emerge from my locked office, feeling productive and unstressed, then I can't be constantly distracted by all the little things that are no big deal. And so, you know, don't text me unless there's an emergency. Pretend I'm not here. Those all sound like things, they sound like unreasonable things to tell someone. But that's, I said this earlier and then I'll, I'll shut up because I can tell the caffeine is full on in. My favorite part, (laughs) my favorite part about the pandemic, I talked about this on our marketing family call this morning, is that other people now understand that what I do is real work. Because when you tell someone, yeah, I've got five, one hour, calls on Zoom tomorrow. They're like, oh my goodness, that sounds like hell. It's not because I love what I do. But before they'd be like, oh, okay. So you talk all day. How is that job stressful? Like, (laughs) I I don't think that sounds like a stressful job to me. And now that and now more people get it. So the understanding, collective understanding of this is is certainly more general that people get that that working remotely is not, you know, hanging out at a coffee shop, getting groceries done and, and doing all the laundry. You know, yeah, that's not like a globe globetrotter spinning the basketball, making everything happen. It's just that's not what it is for sure. And we're we're very outcome oriented as far yeah. as I think all of our lists are like actual things that are something we're building, creating, editing, revising. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. that's and I think that's why we're able to maintain the productivity because it's all focused on this is a thing I have to do. There's no other way to work around it. It's just like it's done or not done. Um, there's no option. I like this. And again, not to, not to not let us move on from this, but work is not where stress comes from. Doing work you hate is where stress comes from or work you Mm -hmm. resent is where stress comes from. I would just point you back to that too. If you're feeling now, I'm not saying that there's not other reasons to be stressed, but working from home and becoming stressed either probably means that your company doesn't know what work from home means. We've heard this a lot too. Oh my gosh, why does every call have to be a Zoom call? It doesn't, obviously. We can just talk on the phone. We can send an email. Micromanaging, certainly a thing that will cause burnout and stress. So a lot of it could be the organization that you work with has no idea what work from home really means, which is leave me the hell alone so I can work from home. (laughs) So I I totally get that. There's, There's lots more to it, but that's just some of our perspectives here. All right, other ways to reduce stress. Hello, robot. This is from TechCrunch.com. Hello, robot emerges out of stealth to launch a mobile robotic gripping platform for the home. That sounds uh, like an interesting way to say a mobile Super robotic gripping nerdy. platform. Well, they, they it's more like here's the platform. Like here's the they're doing like nerd to nerd speak um, <laughs> with that because it's expensive. Like the platform is expensive. But I think they're using it to mm-hmm. as like a foundation for cool products. Like the picture there. No one sees the picture. Maybe eventually this will be video, but how do you make that perfect? I have no idea. Uh, don't hold your breath, He's folks. Holding don't a hold coffee cup. 
for you. <laughs> yeah. But the laundry one, amazing. Yeah, a robot taking laundry out. So this is definitely something else you should be considering, not a robot. Okay, I'm not talking about a robot. But if you work from home and you no longer have the expense, the same expense of commuting and meals because you can work from home and eat from home, et cetera, maybe you hire a clean. Now, again, cleaners, health issues, there's a whole like, but maybe you hire someone to help you clean your home every once in a while or whatever those tasks are that are taking up extra time in your day. Mm-hmm. If you can trade money for time, that's why Uber became worth what it did. That's why Amazon is, you know, we're trading money for time and convenience. Give yourself the privilege, just do the budget, figure out what you're not spending anymore on parking, gas, and meals, and figure out a way that you can, because the savings rate overall through all this, the, the household savings rate has increased dramatically. That's crazy. So I think this is what stretches is, is, well, how did you guys describe this? It's like a Roomba with a big pole on it. It's, yeah, yeah. Roomba articulating yeah. arms it's like a excavator right that doesn't yeah. take oh, but it's one of like those it, it extends things where you you have like it has pinchers on the end and you use it to yeah trash yeah those extender yeah. thing right yeah, yeah. that that people use to pick up trash alongside the road or old people have to open cabinets or mm-hmm. something mm-hmm. Oh, i don't know if that's a thing it's a, yeah no it's, now right along with stretch and this is our completely fun article for the day, but this one That's made me one. think of also from TechCrunch. White Castle becomes the first fast food chain to test out the robot fry cook, Flippy, <laughs> from Miso Robotics. And Flippy um, can also make hamburgers. It's now doing French fries as well. Interesting. But uh-huh. if you were at the summit last year when Jeff Turner talked about when the oil industry got hit and in the Great Recession, that the drilling platforms on land, not not out in the ocean, used to require a lot more people. Now they require like one fourth the number of individuals, and so a lot of those jobs never came back. And those were the like same really high paying jobs, weren't they? And they were good good paying jobs. This is another way that both because of health issues and because of labor shortages that people are still seeing right now. You're seeing this acceleration. Uh, partly due to COVID, partly due to just the uh, other economic conditions that are out there saying this this robot's not going to ask for time off. It doesn't need an overtime request to be filled out. All that's it needs a, is oil and programming. Yeah. But uh, White Castle's based here in Columbus, Ohio. So oh, never knew that. It's near and dear to to our heart. We make sure we get the kids there at least once every year so they understand where they came from. <laughs> <laughs> Wendy's, Once by the way, also headquartered in Columbus, Ohio. Wow. So we've got some of the best and some of the worst hamburgers in fast food land. That's I won't tell you which one's which. Which? Let's you turn your own. <laughs> and with that, we'll take a quick break and we'll come back. We'll sit down with Tom Nelson from NDG Communications and also the founder of YouTuber, another on demand access platform with a twist. We'll be right back. Sneak attack, sneak attack. You must be keeping secret weapons in your fanny pack. You're like my laughing gas, you got the can to dance. You're like Lance on the mountain in the Tour de France. You got a wingspan spanning the globe. You got gold and you're teaching us all to let go. You're a wise old when you're the Today we have with us the president of NDG Communications and a founding partner of YouTuber, Tom Nelson. Welcome to the Market Proof Marketing Podcast. Welcome. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you having me here. 
Tom, we've known each other for a long, long time. time. Uh, over a decade. I'm just going to leave yeah, it at that. Man. Absolutely. It's a good number. Been, absolutely. Been, LinkedIn must be lying because it says you've been the president of NDG for almost 19 years. No, absolutely true. So let's talk about NDG real quick. Has, sure. Is it home builder only? What does this agency do? What, what services do you offer? Does sure. everyone listening has an idea of, of your experience in the home building space and, and where you come from? Well, NDG is a full service marketing and advertising agency. Uh, we specialize in home builders and real estate. We do uh, work for condo developers, some apartments, anything residential real estate. I got started in this business in the late 90s. I was actually a marketing firm and a digital development firm, you know, building websites in the late 90s. And my father-in-law oh, wow. was a developer of a community who ended up deciding he was going to build houses and that I had to help him figure out how to do the marketing and sales. <laughs> and so that's kind of where it all got wow. started. And you know, I learned every aspect of the business, fell in love with it. Uh, I actually sat in a sales trailer for a few months and, and uh, was a sales assistant. I have uh, went to planning commission meetings. I went to the bank and learned about construction draws. I mean, I really just fell wow. in love with all aspects of the business. And then I was able to take that knowledge that I learned and you know, really you know, put it into the marketing advertising. And the next thing you know, I'm in Maryland. I had a regional uh, builder here as a client and uh, just kind of all steamrolled from there. And uh, we've just grown organically since. And how many people are on the team now, Tom? We have about 30. Oh, oh man. That's a few. That's a cadre. That's, a That's my word That's of the day. Well, yeah, you, well, you know, the average the tenure at an ad wow. agency is about 18 months, and we're averaging about four and a half years. And uh, awesome. that's, a, that's something I'm really, really proud of. They're, they're a great group of people. And, you know, you always talk about work families. And I, I got to say, uh, I know it sounds cliche, but it really is at NDG. Um, you know, we, we've had clients. I've got a home builder client we've had for 12 years. You know, some of the relationships that we've just built both with clients and, you know, our internal team members, that's the most satisfying part of all of it. That could almost be a question if you're looking to hire an agency. What is your turnover mm-hmm. uh, rate? Right? That could show a lot about yeah, culture. Both of, and just how both they of clients and clients. employees. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. ad agencies are notorious you know, sweatshops, you know, <laughs> turn and burn. We all have to work at a fast pace. We get it, especially now, you know, we're, you know, the whole MarTech thing is really what we are now. Mm. And you have to love it. You have to embrace it. It are long hours. It's exhausting. But if you love what you do and you love the people you're doing it with, you know, there, there's no better you know, real opportunity. And so, you know, we've evolved and, and just want to, we just want to help a builder get traffic, get leads, make sales and whatever we need to do to help in that process. You know, we're, we're not really trying to find you know, this particular niche. Uh, we really just want to be involved in all aspects so that we can help, uh, you know, same thing you guys do every day as well. Just, you know, help them achieve their goals. It's not often that I talk to someone who has been doing home builder marketing longer than I have, and it's getting worse <laughs> every day as I get older. So I have to ask from your perspective, Tom, and this is a big question, I know. But over those 19 years, what has the, the change looked like? Maybe in, in terms of what builders used to come to you for the problems they were trying to solve versus the ones they're trying to solve today. Well, you know, the, the interesting thing was early on, you know, the internet, it was very much anti-internet. And there were two things. One, the technology was fairly new, but let's not forget of what, you know, 2002, 3, 4, and 5. Everyone talks about 04, 05, but I tell you, 02, 03 was pretty darn strong too. Yep. So there was a lot of like, why do I need to do it? 
you know, we're, we're selling homes really fast. We don't want to give the information. We want them to call. You know, there's a set business model. And so, you know, at the time I started MDG, I was 24 years old and I'm trying to tell them that they need to blow up their business model and they're telling me I'm crazy, you know? <laughs> yeah, it and wasn't so, really until, for me anyway, it wasn't probably until two, I started in 2003 in the fall of 2003. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it wasn't until sometime in early 2005 that my builder at the time, Miranda Holmes, started to understand my concerns slash questioning around why are we spending like $700,000 a year with the newspaper? Right. Uh, and the wow. answer was because it's working. And, but it did. It, that, that seems like around the time that, that technology really started to take off and, and the internet was, was coming into its own for home builders. But there was just a state of fat and happy for sure. Absolutely. You know, and we were the same way. We're about whatever works. I don't care if I, you know, if we put someone in the middle of the road with a stupid sign spinner for two days, if we sold houses, we were going to do it and we're going to do it until it stopped. You know, we ran a campaign for a client I'll never forget in the early days. And we anticipated it was going to run for three months and it kept working and we did it for 18 months. (laughs) <laughs> and then the builders started getting bored wow. with it. And they were saying, well, let's change it up. And I was like, I know you're tired of seeing it. And even I'm tired of seeing it. Yeah. But the results are still working. Let's run this till it runs dry. Because, you know, I was explaining that, you know, the home shoppers, you know, they, there's change over in the marketplace. You know, the, it's new to a new group of buyers in the marketplace, even though we're tired of it and bored of it. You know, it's all about uh, same thing. That's, you know... That's why you and I've always hit it off so well. And, and Mike and everybody, you know, we see the world the same that, you know, if it's, you just do what's working, but you're always tinkering, you're always optimizing, you're always looking for the other thing that might help you, uh, you know, achieve a goal. So. Okay. Last question on, on sure. your age in the industry. <laughs> and then we'll move <laughs> off to what, what has surprised you the most about home builders in 19 years? The slow to adopt, but quick to copy mentality. Mm. You know, I understand pioneers get shot and I know the difference between the cutting edge and the bleeding edge. Mm -hmm. But, you know, when you really look at some of the challenges that they faced, there's a lot of other industries that have have faced some similar challenges and have found some solutions, but nobody wants to be the first to try it. And, you know, I, I understand the, the concern on some of, uh, you know, not going too far out in, in advance and uh, being too far of an early adopter. But, you know, I've heard you talk about, you know, creating budgets uh, just for trying new uh, technologies mm-hmm. and, and, you know, kind of having that innovation budget. And I'm shocked at, at how slow the innovation takes in this industry. But I will say this, though, I don't the people in this industry are spectacular Uh, through my early days before I started focusing down. You know, we did work in healthcare, We did work in uh, nonprofit being just outside the D.C. market. There's Mm -hmm. a association, a trade association lobbying Capitol Hill for everything. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we did some work for the Washington Nationals in their inaugural season. I've done so much of it. Nothing's been as hard as home building but also nothing's been as rewarding of home building. And I've met sure. some of the, the greatest people. And if you made it through the downturn, it's because you wanted to stay in this industry. These people love the industry. And, uh, you know, so I don't want to seem like I'm knocking them too much for their lack of innovation. It does exist. But at the same time, there's also been some really great people and some really people, great people doing some phenomenal things. You know, what you guys are doing, what, what we're trying to do, there, there's a lot of great, uh, innovations that are out there. I just wish we could go at a faster pace, mm. but maybe that's me. You know, patience is a virtue, just not one I have. Well, I also wonder if it's if 
I've been thinking about this more recently. If it's really fair, the way that we've talked about our industry, because our industry is a very small group of people, Absolutely. very tight knit, very, very well connected, and builders have very long memories, especially when they feel wronged or ripped off, so to speak. And I think that you know, whoever sold all these builders millions of banner ads for thousands and thousands of dollars <laughs> back in 2003 to 2005, they're a big part of this problem. Combined with people from outside the industry who keeps shouting at the industry, why don't you... You know, I had someone call me up on March 15th when COVID hit. And they said, my CEO has given me 30 days to have a buy now button, check out, add to cart experience on all of our homes. You're like, oh, okay. I mean, that is... Now, that came from internal from the CEO, but that kind of a thing, you kind of picture this charlatan coming from outside into your town, knocking on the home builder's door and saying, I can make, you know, I can get you the moon and back for in two weeks for the low, low cost of a couple thousand bucks. And, and I feel like builders are part of their hesitancy comes from that experience. Not, not all of it for sure. There's still just a, a, a big, Hey, this has worked for me for so long. I'm going to stick with it. But I, I'm starting to get more open to the idea that builders are are leery for good reason too. I don't know if that. Makes oh yeah, sense. yeah. I I've always said that builders have PTSD. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I mean, they went from being you know the the top of the hill, the one of the most successful industries in the economy, to you know, and feeling ten feet tall and bulletproof, and literally within a year and a half, were hanging for dear life. You know, I mean, you want to talk about a foxhole experience. That's, you know, pretty much because, you know, we all know about the the stock market going down in October of 2018. But builders were feeling a decline in 2017. Yeah. And every month was getting worse. And they were all scratching their head because all we had known was growth. I mean, it was like, you know, hey, we got a can. That's fantastic. We're going to put that house back on the market and sell for 20 more grand than we had it advertised for last month. And now all of a sudden it's like, huh, things are slowing down. What the heck is going on? And, you know, it just came, you know, very rapidly, the change here. And we all had to figure it out. And, you know, there's some reminiscence of this uh, with COVID as well, where, you know, we've got to try to solve a problem. Uh, The only good news is that this wasn't really invented by, you know, the whole process of, of purchasing a home, you know, the financial part that you know was part of the problem in 08. Yeah. But nonetheless, it's a problem that builders had to deal with. And they could, I think they learned a lot in the last downturn because you saw a lot of builders reacting very, very quickly. The, the scenario you gave of, we're going to have a buy now button in 30 days, it forced them to go, we're going to adapt and we're going to do it much faster than we did in the last downturn because everyone thought that it was a temporary blip and that everything was going to be better. Nobody thought it was going to be an eight-year downturn. Right. Yeah. And we're still, even, even with the rush back, you know, compared to the previous peak, we're still nowhere close in terms of the number of units that we're, that we're doing. So, uh, but, so outside of all that activity uh, in your day job with NDG and, and that growth and that size team, you did a little thing called U-Tour. Uh, tell yeah. everyone kind of the where that came from. How how did that somehow you found the time for this? <laughs> I'm still like so you did both like at the same time. Yeah. Okay. Well, how, how old are your kids, awesome. Tom? Uh, I have four children. I have a 20 year old, a 17 year old, soon to be 15, and a nine year old. So the sarcastic part of me says that's where some of the times come from, Andrew. Right in the thick of it here <laughs> with yeah. a five, seven, ten, and thirteen year old. 
There oh, ain't yeah. no time after between 6.30 and 10 o'clock at night. There's no time. Yeah, the difference is we have every stage in life in the house right now. So yeah. the Ew. thing is, I never know what the night's going to be like. <laughs> You're paying one to watch the other to watch the other. And That's right. That's right. Losing money every day. Yeah. yeah. So tell us about you tour. What is this fantastic sure, new thing sure, you've invented? But, you know, the fact that we were so immersed in all aspects of real estate, you know, as I mentioned, we're constantly looking to innovate. We're constantly looking to optimize and change. And, you know, we never really set out to create a, you know, a self-guided home tour company or we, what we were really trying to do is in this, we started on this a couple of years ago, Brookfield Residential was excellent. And we did the very first Amazon Alexa smart home in Virginia with them. And we built the technology for this with them a couple of years ago, which now they call my time, which is a variation of UTOR today. But what we were really trying to do, we were all sitting in a room going, you know what, we're getting a, a really good conversion rate using you know, your metrics of 25 to 30% of our digital leads. We should be able to get to an on-site appointment, but you know, we're always looking to improve and we're really scratching our heads going, okay, why, where, why, where's that cap coming from? What's going on? What can we do to get more people to come and visit the homes and see them? And, and you know, what are the friction points that could be causing them not to? So we did a bunch of research. We were able to utilize a lot of data from a lot of different sources. We've been very fortunate to work with some really great builders who were willing to share their information with us to, let, to be a part of it. We partnered with the Washington Post to get some of their data. And what we did was we just basically asked people, if you registered on a builder's website or through a third-party syndication site like you know BDX says uh, New Home Source or Zillow or what have you, but if you registered for information but never showed up at the point of sale, why? We just wanted to know why. And uh, we learned some really interesting things. Most interestingly, 51% of the survey uh, respondents said that you know 10 to 6 wasn't convenient for them. So they just couldn't get there when the sales center was open. Mm-hmm. So we said, okay, there's a friction point. You know, And uh, then 43% said they did not want to talk to a salesperson on the very first visit that their sole intention, if they were to show up, would be to see for themselves was the home and the community and the amenities, was it, did it look as good in person as it did online? And they wanted to do so you know, independently. And so we said, well, wow, if we could fix those two problems, you know, could we get that conversion rate beyond that 25 to 30%? You know, we saw and we've seen and, and I think I've even uh, listened to you on, on several podcasts mentioned that the two things that builders hold on to that's different than any other industry is access to product and access to price. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't know what the true price of that home is until you go meet with the salesperson, you go through all the options and the features and, you know, and, and I'm not sure I want to solve that battle. I know the technology already <laughs> can, but I've been doing this a long time and have yet to been able to convince any builder to uh, let uh, people uh, price a home completely online. But, you know, access to product, I think, was a huge barrier as well. And Without if you think about anything else that you purchase, you know, you know they, they always say that some of the busiest times at a car dealership are Sunday evenings when they're closed because people want to go just look at the cars in person without having a salesperson there. So, so we're saying, you know what, if we could just go ahead and get people access to those homes and tour it themselves initially, we're hoping that, you know, uh, it does look as good in person as it does online. And then they make a connection with that uh, community salesperson and uh, we just bring them a really good qualified interest lead. 
Now, when you were starting to talk to Brookfield or other builders about this process, you know, and I bet if we went back, Andrew, and listened to old episodes of the podcast from three years ago, we, we would talk about self-touring technology and on-demand access. And even then we were saying, this sounds awesome. Here's some concerns we might have of a consumer right. going in a, in a finished home, but Security. the appliances haven't shown up yet. And they're not sure if the appliances are included or not. And, and could they have a, a misinformed opinion of... So, so we had concerns about it for sure. What were some of the things that you heard in the early days from builders about what they were concerned about as you were kicking around the idea of this? Well, the first and foremost, you know, obviously they're worried about security. Is someone going to come in if you give access to a model home or they come in and steal all the furniture? Are they going to go into the you know inventory home, leave the back door? I, I just have, I have to pause you there, Tom, real quick and say, if for many builders, it would be a good thing if people came and stole your furniture. That furniture <laughs> you bought 12 years ago, it needs to be stolen. That's a write-off. All the stuff on the counters, <laughs> like just take it, please. Okay, go sorry. On. Keep going. So, so, you know, the first thing was really that security about, you know, what are people going to do in the home? So, you know, you had to overcome that objection uh, uh -huh. as well. But, you know, this unattended access, you know, unattended showing, self-guided tours, whatever you want to call it, this has been done in the MDU space for six, seven years. Um, and so we went and met with all of the people that uh, the companies that were doing it in that space. And uh, they were very gracious because we weren't trying to build our own system. We were trying to find a partner and utilize a system that already worked mm. for our home builders. Uh, but what we found was, uh, while there's a lot of great companies in that space, you know, they're very much geared towards leasing. They don't have the same issues with a home builder with, you know, being on the outskirts of town and homes, you know, in, in the MDU space, it, it's all in one contained building. Uh, so there's unique challenges that a home builder has that they just, you know, really don't really plan or try to accommodate. But, you know, we asked them what were the pros and cons and, you know, what what things to look out for in letting people unattended into their their units. And we learned a lot from them as well. But security was the number one concern for builders. But then the second thing was, you know, we, we especially builders do, as they should, invest a lot of money in sales training. You know, they, there's a lot of great, talented sales trainers out there. Um, you talk to them all. You've had them on your podcast. The Jeff there's Shores, a lot of Carl. sales trainers. This is this is such a fun conversation to have on a Friday with you, Tom. <laughs> there's a lot of sales trainers. There's not a lot of good sales trainers, but there are there are a handful, which is, means at least five. But there, yeah. Well, there's a there's no a, there's some that I've met in my career that you know I just really think the world of. Uh, yeah, you know, I mentioned Jeff Shore, I mentioned Myers Barnes. They, yep. you know. There's just some really great guys there that do a great job with the training. Yeah. Uh, some Roland of them does fantastic me. work. Yeah, exactly. Um, but the the point of it is that they're investing in the sales training. So then they kind of feel like, well, what did I invest this money in sales training if I'm just going to let people in the house by themselves? And so, you know, we had to get them to look at it a little bit differently. And we said, but, you know, they make a good point. Uh, you know, how do you how does someone know in that self-guided tour you know, the uh, Advantech flooring that's being done or if there's spray foam insulation behind the walls because they can't see it. So our other idea and one of the reasons why we created U-Tour is that we wanted to create a better experience as well. So we took kind of the model when you think about going into a museum and that self-guided tour when you're doing an exhibit where you can walk through at your own pace, but listen on a set of headphones to um, information about that exhibit. We were saying, well, what if we could use technology to still give people that information? And so that's why we came up with the ability to put a uh, voice command in the homes, whether it's uh, you know an Alexa device or Google Home, 
but a way for people to engage and get information that normally a salesperson would do through a visit. And we're we're saying that we're not trying to bypass the salesperson. The goal was to bring more people who otherwise would not have shown up. You know, it's tap that segment of buyers that's going to avoid you uh, for either that convenience issue or uh, not wanting to talk to the salesperson. But let's get them at the property. Let them, you know, self-serve themselves the way they do for everything else that they buy. But but can we use technology to still make sure that they get some of that information so that they don't make any wrong assumptions or you know or things of that nature? So that was really what motivated us behind this. And we didn't find a total solution that exists in the marketplace, but we just had it in you know had this feeling that if we could uh, solve for that problem, that we'd have something that would really play a, a huge role and benefit to our, our to our home builder clients. For sure, for sure. Did you find? Did you start with model homes first, or inventory? Was there a? We start with inventory. Start with? In all honesty, okay. for several reasons, you know, it's it's probably a harder challenge to sell for because you know it's not vignetted. There's no merchandising inside, so we wanted the voice uh, system to really help paint the picture of what the home could be as well. But at the same time, it was a little bit easier in all transparency. It was easier for a builder to commit to the inventory over their model because there is no merchandising in it. It's a, it, felt, yep. it felt better to them from a security standpoint that there was less at risk by letting them in an inventory home as well. But that's what we started with. Awesome. Very cool. Very cool. That makes sense. And so you mentioned that you went and visited a lot of these folks who already had the technology in place and there were differences. Uh, we've talked before with uh, the folks at CBH Homes. They use the platform Rently. We've had uh, Lynn on the podcast before talking about Enter Now. Mm-hmm. I would say those are the three platforms that I hear people talk sure. the most about is, mm-hmm. is those two and, and you two are without certainly just saying anything disparaging, just highlighting some of the differences between those two, because I think one, there's, there's no question that every builder should be, as we've had coaching calls with people and in the last two months, especially it's been like, well, everything's amazing. Uh, the type of builders that we attract to us only want to ask us really one question, which is what am I not thinking about? What am I not doing that I should be doing? How do I, to your PTSD comment, how do I prep for the next time? This isn't so great. So we've had a lot of those conversations and I keep pointing people back to on-demand access solutions and saying, have you at least tried it yet? Because it would be a great time to learn which of these platforms is right for you. What are the different things you're not thinking about that you're going to go through when you implement this at scale? So I want to try to have you help them understand the the differences between some some of the more popular options that are out there. Sure, sure. And all the companies you mentioned, uh, great companies, reputable, take good care of their clients. We just had a little bit different in, difference in philosophy. One thing, because again, we know we've learned so much from home builders being so fully ingrained, there was going to be a hurdle with the proprietary lock. Mm-hmm. You know, they build the home, they install a lock on it. Now they want to go ahead and, and make it available for unattended access. Now you got to uninstall the lock, put a proprietary lock on. Then if the house sells, you got to uninstall the lock. Put the original lock on. There's just a lot of friction points of all of well, that. That's in interesting. The so, when you're if you're installs. not using a proprietary lock, do most of the builders who you work with then that lock just gets transferred to the homeowner? And exactly, exactly. So we built a technology that works with any Z-Wave lock, and we are integrated in partners with all the three main manufacturers. So you say Z-Wave, it sounds like a I'm Star Googling Trek that term. Right now. What is Z-Wave? <laughs> it sounds fancy. Z-Wave I, I, is just a. Uh, yeah. 
Z-Wave is a cellular technology. It's just think of Wi-Fi, but it's cellular based. It's Got just it. another communication. So instead of it being, you know, Bluetooth or Wi-Fi, Z-Wave is just another technology. Like, like the Amazon the main, Kindle? Is that is that a Z-Wave device? I believe. Like the standard the, service, I think, yeah, is built I think in. So. But uh, every major manufacturer, the main three, you know, Quickset, Schlage, and Yale all have a Z-Wave lock. And uh, so okay. what we do is we work with them and uh, the builder can just order the locks through their own vendor, their own suppliers. They can get their, you know, wholesale pricing established. And, you know, then you don't have to do any of the uninstall, install uh, issues there. We have a companion cellular hub that uh, brings cellular device into the home that communicates with that lock. And when you sell the home, the builder has the option to just leave that lock on the door, take the hub over to the next house, pair it with the next lock and go from there. So it, we were trying to uh, you know, take the friction away from the install process as you have turnover in inventory. So, That's really cool. So you're not a lock company, you're a platform. We're what trying to build. It's exactly what we're doing. And, and you know, what we really tell people is that we're an open ecosystem uh, because we didn't just want to be a single point provider. Getting you in the house was great. And I want to do that, of course. But there's also other things that I want to be able to do. Uh, so we built our own network that can integrate with a builder's platform. So, you know, we can ingest the BDX feed or Zillow feed so that the builder doesn't have to enter their homes and communities into our platform. Uh, mm. Once we have the visitors and the tours, we feed that data back to their CRM system whether they're using Salesforce or Lasso or HubSpot or, you know, whatever platform yeah, they Those prefer. are the only three you should be using. That's, <laughs> that's, that's, you got them covered. So, but we yeah. also want to integrate with smart home technologies. And, you know, we just recently partnered with Alarm.com because we want to be able to control thermostats and lighting controls. You know, after the last tour, we want to be able to turn off the lights and raise the temperature by five degrees while it's sitting overnight and uh, save on some energy costs. By the uh, end of the quarter, we're going to be able to arm and disarm the security system. So if a builder does want to put a security system in an inventory home, or if we're doing unattended access in one of their models, you know, we can arm and disarm that alarm system um, when people come to schedule tours, but can arm it in between tours. So we just wanted to continually integrate with a builder's tech stack, what they're using now and what they might use in the future. Um, so we've been able to, and it's been a lot of fun uh, meeting lots of new people and integrating with different technologies. There's a wonderful company that we partner with called iDevices that actually has a light switch that has an Alexa device in the light switch. Mm. And so you can go into that, into any home and retrofit with a screwdriver by taking the light switch out, putting their light switch in. And now the Alexa device is in that light switch. So if a builder had a concern that someone might steal the Alexa device, well, now it's in the wall and it takes away that concern. Alexa and, devices know, are so cheap that I feel like that would not dramatically increase your cost per lead if they stole one. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, and the other, we had to address security and, you know, all the vendors do some sort of security verification. We do as uh -huh. well. We can use a government issued photo ID or a credit card. So, you know, there's a big deterrent there from someone coming in and, and doing something that they shouldn't. Not to say it's impossible, but, you know, there's a lot of it, deterrence. We could put a motion sensor in the home if it doesn't have an alarm system. So that The vast majority of those instances are inside. Exactly. Problems, though. It's, it's and they can, I watched the video on the site, they could pre-register all this information before they come out. Oh, yeah, so like absolutely. That was the other tomorrow. friction point that we wanted to address. We wanted people to be able to, you know, schedule the tours whenever. Now, of course, 
they show up at the community, you know, and hadn't been to the website or maybe had, but not that day, didn't schedule an appointment. They can on their smartphone schedule a tour right then and there and get into the home. But we wanted them to be able to, you know, schedule directly from the builder's website. Cause think about it. They're looking at those virtual tours. They're watching the videos. They're in Matterport. You know, they're getting excited. And we said, what a better way to say, Hey, go schedule a self tour, go see this home right now or whenever's convenient for you. Cause again, we're trying to solve the convenience issue. Great. You don't have time now. You know, the, the most popular time right now, year to date has been Saturday night at seven o'clock. That gets the most tours in the entire platform. Now, we've been joking and saying that we took over date night because with COVID, all the restaurants <laughs> are closed, bars are closed. There's nothing else to do. But, uh, you know, after hours, you know, people, that's when they have the time and that's when they prefer to tour. So, you know, we wanted to, to provide that uh, opportunity. Now, with all this ability to integrate and, and work with other, other devices and services, are do you guys help builders through the complexity? I mean, I can... There are some IT companies who are, heck, they're just trying to keep people's emails on and their website turned on. And IT has quickly become like my least favorite two-letter <laughs> part of any home-building organization because they're so out of date, out of touch, and inward-focused versus customer-focused. How, if, if I'm a marketer who has a terrible IT department, am I screwed? Or no, no not help? at all because... Because A, first of all, our team will lead you through it. But secondly, I mean, some of this stuff home builders have been doing for years, getting a data feed of your homes and listings. I mean, you know, everyone's standardized that years ago. Uh, so great. Send us the same feed that you send to right. BDX, Zillow, all, all of that. Uh, getting outside data sources for your inbound leads going into CRM system, not rocket science has been done before, you know, and there's a lot of great uh, reps uh, for the smart home technology companies that builders work with. And so, you know, UTOR and those companies work together. We will really want to try to minimize the impact that we're going to have on IT. But again, we, we still, you know, we can make this, the experience more sophisticated with the support of IT. Uh, you know, we, we have a weekly call with Kaobnanian. We're integrating with their website so that uh, the schedule self-tour button appears dynamically every time they activate a home. And so you can have that real-time engagement. Oh, the home sold? They can turn it off. Everything's disengaged. You don't have to worry about any mm -hmm. lag time or manual processes. So, you know, engaging with the home builders uh, IT team just makes the experience that much better. But at the same time, it's not this technical quandary that, you know, we're, we're going to have to create a whole new vernacular and a whole new yeah. uh, business model for, uh, you know, and, and that was really the other point that we wanted to do. We wanted to fill in the gaps, but not require people to change too much. We wanted to be able to go in and say, hey, you know, we can, we can fill the role here and help in this regard. Because again, I'm not trying to keep people from talking to a salesperson. Actually, what I'm trying to do is, it's really nothing more complex than what you know Mike did when he you know innovated the the industry with the OSC process. He was basically just trying to find a way to get those leads there, comb through them, and bring the best leads to the salespeople. That's all I'm trying to do as well. Yeah, and I think we should have a homework assignment. We don't do this very often on the podcast, but I feel like everyone, if you're a home builder in marketing or in sales or in operations, listening to this show. If you haven't gone to a home using UTour, Internow, or Rently and, and seen that experience firsthand, I'm telling you, when I, when I started doing that myself, I feel like six, eight months ago now, 
it totally changed my perspective because I was never finding myself ruling out the builder during that tour. And that's what I think builders always had this fear of is if they get in without that sales professional, they're going to write me off. And the only thing that I ever found myself doing was writing off that particular home or the floor plan or the style. But mm-hmm. I wasn't saying, I'm, now I don't need to talk to someone. Now I don't need to go to the model. It was always an additive process when we were doing it ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, there's just so much when you let people tour at their own pace and their own comfort. You know, the other thing that we did differently is, versus some of the other systems is we let people reserve that home just for themselves for a one hour time frame, so they can really go into that home, feel okay. comfortable. Now, again, with COVID, that's even an added plus. But even before yeah. then, when we first developed the technology, we gave people the option. And then what we did was we surveyed them and said, you know, did you like it when anybody, you know, we, we made it that multiple, you know, visitors could be in the home at the same time, or we could reserve it and have one at a time. And the data and feedback we got was that people preferred the private tour. They said they, yeah. they felt rushed and felt the need to get out. And this was pre-COVID. This is a couple of years ago. Sure. They felt the need to get out of the home the minute somebody else entered the home. You know, mm-hmm. but having that house to themselves for that hour, you know, they really get to, you know, if they like the home, but at the same time, if they don't as well, you know that because, you know, most of our shoppers, 40% of them schedule a multi-home visit. So they're looking at multiple homes, but we glean just as much about what they don't look at versus what they do. So if they come and schedule three tour, three tours in a community and they spend 10 minutes in the first house, 40 minutes in the second house, they don't even go into the third and they only ask questions of the Alexa device in the second house, it's easy to conclude that they're probably interested in the second house. So we That's can give it. that information to yeah. them and uh, to the builder and say, this is what they were interested in. Now, is there any ability for builders to, on the back end of the platform, create their own rules? Like you mentioned, an hour for a private tour. Is there any other... So That's some of the things that I've heard about other platforms. And so it might be the same for you. I, I, don't, I honestly don't know the answer of what you're going to tell me. But where there was a large builder who's like, I only, for for COVID, their particular rules was, I only want this to be able to be used twice a day or three times a day. Right. No, we we give flexibility in that. We we don't let them schedule uh, blocks less than an hour. Now, I'll tell you why. Uh, Some, you know, not everybody shows up right on the hour. People get stuck in traffic and have issues and things of that nature. So we keep it to an hour. The average uh, year to date, the average has been about 18 minutes of the tour. Hmm. But with that being said, that's the average. We have people in the house for close to an hour. Those are the people, and these are the ones that get you the most excited. They schedule a tour, they come in the house, they spend 12 minutes, you know, and you're you're like, okay, that's fine. It's decent time, I guess, to tour. But then you see them schedule a tour for later that evening or the next day. They come back and they stay in the house 45 minutes. Now you know that they're really interested in thinking... You know, and we've been able, some of our builders have allowed us to, uh, you know, learn from some of the sales that have happened. And you find out what they were doing is they went into that house. They had already narrowed it down to, you know, a couple communities and a couple homes. And they were bebopping around, going, spending time in one house, coming back to the other community, and really just kind of coming back, circling around and visiting and revisiting, trying to make their decision. So that's why we want to keep it to that hour uh, time frame. Now, with that being said, we do have the ability to be flexible. If someone hasn't shown up by the mid hour, so if they schedule a tour from noon to one, mm-hmm. but they're not in the home by 1230, we automatically send them a text message and an email saying, you know, do you need to reschedule or do you just need more time? Because things happen. People are busy. Sure. And if there's not a tour schedule behind them, 
what we can do is we can give them the ability to extend their tour into that next hour so that they don't miss the opportunity. Awesome. But we do give them complete controls of when are those homes available in the platform. They can turn them off and on. They decide when they want to make them available. In the early stages of COVID, we had some of our builders that were just scheduling towards every other hour. And mm-hmm. they were having their uh, teams come in and wipe down I mean, hard surfaces right. and doorknobs in between. So yep. they could say, this is a safe way to tour homes. But all of that is built in. Uh, you know, we the other uh, unattended consequence that we really loved, you know, the happy accident we fell into was closeout communities. You're down to one model and a couple of inventory homes. You don't Absolutely. need to staff the model. And so from there, we could, you know, they chose to extend the hours that the tours were available. So again, the the goal was to basically be able to uh, give them the opportunity to have complete control of when those homes are available and what times. Awesome. I got awesome. Two rapid questions. Andrew, you got one first or? Yeah. Well, quick one was just on the closeout one. I think this one comes to mind because I'm in a newer community. There's a single home left. The model has already been sold. They don't really build in this county, this builder, and it's been there for like three or four months. There's no remote access. And I'm like, they need to get remote access on this home. Like, no one, like they cannot, I'm sure it's just a scheduling thing. No one wants to drive an hour over to this part of town to help tour it. Like they just need to get it on there. Like I think it's a perfect, perfect case for that. Yeah. And let's be honest too, in a closeout community, even if they were on site, like if there was like one model and two inventory homes, that salesperson doesn't want to be there anyway. <laughs> let's just be honest. They want to be in a new growing community, you know, new opportunities. Uh, it, it, I think it really solves a lot of problems just to be able to turn those last couple of homes and let them just be uh, totally self-guided. And then, you know, when you have an interested party, well, great. Now we'll schedule a sales appointment, either at that community or wherever that salesperson may be working out of. I want to give you a chance, and you don't have to say it if you don't want to. You can always edit this part <laughs> out. Do you have a, a standard pricing range that you've... I know this is still relatively new to the public product offering and pricing can change rapidly, but is there a standard? And if there is, does that include any locks or, or builders, again, just find their own locks from those providers and then uh, pay you separately? Is it a monthly? Is it a lifetime? How does, I just, no, it's, it's monthly. It's per month per home, but really it's not. It's really per month per active hub. Uh, you know, right now, sure. as you know, inventory homes are flying off the shelves and really what we're seeing is pent up demand from COVID is now mm-hmm. converting. So, you know, we have builders that are selling it, putting an inventory home on the market, selling it a week later. Right. Um, and with our technology, you just, great, you sell it, you move the hub, you take it to the next home. So if that hub moves to three homes in one month, there's one fee, but it is per home, per active hub per month. We're charging $99 uh, for that, for the access service. It goes up from there. Uh, you know, If you want to add voice, uh, I mentioned we're going to soon have a chatbot capabilities. There's other features that we can add in, but it's we try to keep it uh, very well reasonable because you know we, we're trying to be a very low cost per lead as well. Uh, so at $99, if I can bring you, you know, uh, 10, 12 visits in the course of that month, wow. that's a great cost per lead. And, uh, and so that's what we're doing. And that's, that's pretty much the pricing model. Um, there's a one-time setup fee. It's very small and nominal, but we're, are, we're available to train. We have a whole tutorial and training platform. We have videos and uh, how-to instructional stuff, but it's real simple. But, um, you know, we, we, we make that all available as well. Okay, Tom, my last question is, is it, sure. is it not true that you are anti-robot? Because essentially what you're... Robots were supposed to solve this problem for us. <laughs> and, you know, we've got the iPad on wheels. We've got Danger Will Robinson 
Android devices that are supposed to be able to to tour a customer through a home and and replicate the the beauty and magic of an in-person sales presentation with robotics. That's doomed now, right? With what you guys are doing? Well, I don't know if it's doomed, but you know, the one stat that hit me the hardest, because you know, I, I was very much uh uh, watching, you know, years ago, you know, open door and, uh-huh. you know, offer pads and, and all the technologies that were out there for the whole iBuyer movement uh, to see what would that do in real estate. You know, builders were always trying to avoid it saying, well, you know, we're a complex transaction. You got to go into debt for 30 years. There's financing. You know, it, we'll never have to deal with that. But when, you know, when open door and those guys really came out, uh, I was really watching what they were doing. But, and so, in doing that, Redfin came out and said, look, you know, 20% of our homes in our system get sold sight unseen. And, you know, those technologies of being able to look at everything virtually and digitally, people are doing that, but that still left 80%. 80% of the people still prefer to go and see it, touch it, feel it before they make a decision. Now, again, we're talking homeowners. There's to be built homes. They, yeah. can't, they may not touch and no, build their exact home, but they're in agreement here, quality. Tom. We're yeah, in, they we're want in, to see that quality. So I said, you know what? We just got to get them on site. I, I saw a LinkedIn post that had gone viral and had like 3,000 engagements on it. And it was all about this person saying that they were moving from California to Colorado and had bought the home on online, sight unseen. And it's not that that doesn't happen, but it only usually happens when they have to. It's not a right. preference. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. and, and that's where the only uh, free tip I'll give you you're supposed to be helping us, but I'm going to help you with this one. Is if I was a builder, I would say I'm going to I'm going to use U tour, and I'm going to incur the expense of doing a Matterport tour on every home that has U tour. Because to me, if I've got a 3D platform to walk through on a device, and then I can go see it in person, like you're saying, to verify what I'm seeing. But then after I leave, what I want to be able to do again potentially go back in person to see it again. But more likely, I'm going to spend the next two hours uh, curled up with an iPad in my bed and rewalk the home and look at it from every angle again. And to me, that's like that would be the place I would probably start from even before I started running ads as a builder if I was... If I, was I couldn't agree more. Yeah. That's why we wanted to make sure that our platform could be integrated with the builder's website and not have to be like a third-party standalone. Because for that same reason, we had that same thought. If you're looking at that Matterport tour and you're watching the virtual tour videos and you're getting excited about it, I wanted to have a button right there that says schedule a self-tour. Right now, mm-hmm. you, you can schedule it and go see it while you're still enthralled with what you're seeing here to try to get that call to action going and get them to be on site. So that's the exact experience that we wanted and I could not agree more. Yeah, I think that's, it's so exciting to see what you guys are doing and, and the folks that are now because the idea I keep coming back to is we really need to be optimizing for both extreme scenarios. The extreme of, I don't want to interact with a person. I want to be able to go as far as I can until a person needs to be involved. There are people who want that. There's also people who still want a completely handheld, personal, human-to-human experience all the way through because that just gives them warm fuzzies and, and the level of comfort that they need. And so I feel like we're finally getting to the point where we're not going back to the sales typical sales approach of, you can... like. Let's be honest. The reason most technology ends up getting adopted by large home building companies especially is because they want to save costs. And I'm not understanding that idea because the cost part 
is not where they should be focused. They should be focused on making that experience better for the customer, which will drive more more sales and a higher profit margin. It, the the well, cost savings of not having to have, well, again, I know I'm I'm all over the place, but like well, well, as recently I'll, I'll as six you, months ago, people were emailing me say saying my my builder wants to know when can I get a robot so we can not have salespeople. That's not the point. Well, you know, we've always flipped it around at NEG. We've done this for years. Yeah, we have to look at cost because of measurement of success is cost per lead, cost per sale. I get all of that. But I've always had issue with that because what do you want to do with the cost? You either want to get it down or you want to eliminate it. And we're saying, could we at least flip it around and say, what's the revenue for that action? And mm-hmm. look at it and say, rather than it cost me to do this, how much revenue did I make because of that? And just try to do that mindset because if I'm getting revenue, now I'm going to want to do more of it. And if I know it works, now I have the confidence to know that I can do more of it and it's well worth the uh, effort and the expense. So really maybe just, you know, I'd love to get the mindset of this industry to be off of cost and onto uh, looking at data on a per revenue model, because I think it would help quite a bit and not make them so laggards as, as far as adoption basically goes. I would, I would absolutely love to basically see that happen. Well, and, and maybe there's no one listening who still thinks this way, but I know there are because I talked to one of them last week. Someone who's going to a pod sales listening. model where there's multiple communities like CBH has done for many years successfully. And they're doing it because they don't want to have to build as many model homes. And I'm like, no, that we should be doing that because it's a better customer experience and it's better for the salesperson to not have to sit in one location waiting for the traffic to come to them. I, I hope that's what we learned, if anything, from, from the last couple of months is having a human being sit in a place and wait for someone to show up and only have one location to meet them in is not convenient for them or the customer. And so if you've got YouTuber or some other platform, I would actually, as a, as I mean, you're getting the model home is financed, and then eventually you sell it and recoup that expense. So we should be optimizing for salespeople and for the customer, not not again for the costs only. I just think it's short sighted. Are you saying almost like a not a no model homes? Like that's the thing. People are like, well, now we can get rid of our models. I'm like, what? You've lost your mind. No, we should not be talking about getting rid of our models. We should be talking about we could even build more. Maybe we only furnish the first floor and the owner's suite upstairs, but we should have more of them, not less. Well, let more people get in with, with Tom's product. Well, we've been doing, you know, uh, not just with UTOR, but with the ad agency side as well, is, is the point, you know, I've heard you make before as well, is that now that, you know, if things start opening back up and the COVID restrictions start to ease and people are comfortable, you know, we should not revert right back to our old sales process. It's going to be impossible. I mean, you right. can try it. Good right. luck. We should, you spend all this time, all this sweat equity and cost and everything to get ramped up in a very fast amount of time to have a virtual sales process. But to your point, we need to give people both because there are some people that want the old traditional style. There's going to be some people that want to go as far electronically as they can. I think it helps the entire industry when we're giving people options to shop yeah. the way they prefer yep. to shop. And now we've got the flexibility to handle anything. Whereas before it was really one way. Oh, well, you got to come see us. You that, know? What I like again about your technology and others is that it's, it's iterative towards that end where I think right. builders get it wrong all the time is they're like, we're throwing a Hail Mary back to this builder who has never let you do anything really in terms of buying online we're, gonna, we're just going to go all the way there now. 
No, that's again, that's you're not learning along the way. Let's get in on-demand access first and then let's figure out the next step of the process or else we never we're never going to get there. We're not going to make the right calls when we just throw Hail Marys all the time. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and there's so many the devil's in the details. There's so many yep. things to consider and you don't want the customer to be the guinea pig. Mm-hmm. That thing that never was a problem before, once you make all of the data and information available, that one really poorly priced cabinet selection could throw off the customer's whole perception of value. Yeah, and absolutely. You just don't know that until you get to that space, what that's going to be. Absolutely. All right, Tom. Well, thanks so much for coming on with us today. We'll link to all of your social information. Of course, you can check out NDG online as well, as well as you two are. Any last words of wisdom, Tom? You've got the floor. I don't know if it's words of wisdom. I just wanted to take this opportunity to thank you guys. Thank you both. Thank Mike. The one thing that I was proud to know you guys, because when all the COVID stuff basically happened, you guys doubled down. You increased your frequency of content (laughs) and you were just saying, guys, we're here to help. And I think it was so needed. Not only were people looking for fresh ideas, I think some people just needed some comfort to say, we're going to get through this. It's going to be okay. And you guys did an excellent job of filling that hole that, you know, was in the, in the space there where people were panicking and uh, you guys really stepped up to the plate, provided a tremendous value and asset when people really needed it. And uh, I just want to commend you for that. I'm honored uh, to know you. I'm honored to be here and uh, I really appreciate you guys. That was a lot. Uh, thank you, sir. And I'll get it slightly sentimental here, but my very first home builders show, I'll never forget the way I felt because I, you know, I'm working for a small builder in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I go to my first home builders show. I think it was 2008, January of 2008. Okay. And I get back to the airport and I am just depressed and sad. And like, I just met a whole bunch of people like me have the same problems, same challenges, same opportunities. And now I've, I've got to wait probably a whole year to have that happen again. And it's even as recently as six years ago or so when I joined Micah, Do You Convert? I didn't think that was going to be possible to recreate. I think we're pretty darn close there, to that now. There's still certainly nothing like getting in person with other people and other challenges, but there's enough conversations finally happening across all different kinds of mediums where you don't, if, if you feel completely alone, it's because you choose to be an island, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And sure. I got to say, you know, we mentioned, you mentioned earlier, this is such a small industry. There are so many people who are willing to help. Yep. You know, that's the one thing that I've really, you know, it's a hard business. You know, I told you I've done healthcare. Nobody manages more data than a home builder. <laughs> no one has as many regulations as a home builder. It's a hard business, but the people who are in it, you know, it's made it all worthwhile and they're always willing to help. They're always willing to share ideas and, uh, you know, I'm just, I've been just blessed to be a part of it. You know, just appreciate that. And like you said, if, if you're not learning and not growing and, and not, uh, you know, in some sort of community, it's a self-inflicted wound. Yep. All right. Love Fest is officially over. Thanks, Tom. <laughs> All right. We'll see you. Thank you, guys. Appreciate you. You bet. You must be keeping secret weapons in your fanny pack. You're like my laughing gas, you got the can to dance. You're like Lance on the mountain in the Tour de France. You got a wingspan spanning the globe. You got gold and you're teaching us all to let go. Okay, next up, this week's question of the week. Bryce, what is this week's question of the week? <laughs> Do you prefer working from home in the office or a hybrid? I think I prefer working from home. I'm more productive working from home. 
I used to work in the office every day and I felt that there was different things that came up and you get squirreled so much easier in the office. Squirreled. I love the term squirreled. But yes. I think this is what squirreled is, but I don't know. Is squirreled when someone just shows up and gives you something to do? Yeah. Yeah. They just come up, they give you something to do where it's like totally left field. It's not anything particular of what you're just working on. It's totally coming from left field. Yeah, for sure. The ability that no one can just show up at my office door (laughs) and demand my time right now is amazing. You know, we're always responsive to our builder partners, but an email, no matter how many times it says urgent or exclamation point, which we don't really get those, uh, is still an email. It's not someone that I can't, you know, say it's not priority right this moment. I'll get to you in five minutes. It's just, it's definitely more flexibility in that sense. I would say work from home too, obviously. Although I do wish that I had a more separate space than I do now, being in a in a bedroom. But I was just thinking about something else related to that though. I like working from home, but I do need to have time out of the house. Usually I go to the gym super early in the morning, like 5, 4.30, but that's only four days a week. So the days when I'm not going, I'm like, okay, I need to go outside or something which I'm not like taking the kids to school. Yeah. So there's none of that, which would, would have been like, okay, got out for 20 minutes. I'm good. So. Yeah. I was at Will Dieterstadt's brand new office last week. Nice. And I'm like, I was like, okay, this is, I mean, brand new, modern. It is an open concept, very few walls and like a, just a conference room and a huddle room. But the views from the building were amazing. Just the energy of being in a space like that. I was like... Are they using it right now? There are there are some people there. But there's more desks, certainly, than there are people choosing to come in to be there. I do think there's something about being in the office. And I, we've said this before. I think the office is going to become a perk. Like, I have an office to go to if I want to. I don't to. know. I love my, my home office and working from home. So I don't get squirreled and... Uh, <laughs> I don't get the drop by of the chatty Cathy's that used to just come and sit in my office and talk. And I'd be like, just working and like not responding. Yeah. And they'd go on for a while. And this You're is, like, mm-hmm. it's probably not what everyone would agree to, but everyone on, on that I'm looking at right now has at least two screens yeah. that they work on. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So the ability or the thought process, like Andrew recently had to do uh, I'm on the run kind of <laughs> a little bit home some from his home office, from another office for reasons that we won't go into relating to a, a babysitter situation. But <laughs> how convenient was that really? Like it sounds great to say hybrid. I, I don't think most people would be able to pull off. Yeah. First two days hybrid. I was like, oh, this is nice. And then like I was talking this morning, I'm like, I think I'll lose like 45 minutes to an hour, like just driving, setting up. And I even, I bought another like um, clamp mount for like a monitor. So I had Mm -hmm. two monitors there too, but I still did. I didn't feel like buying another keyboard and mouse and all that stuff. Right. That's the Uh, thing is if it's going to be hybrid, you'd have to have legit everything everything. exactly the same in both locations to do what, to do what we do well. Or if you're someone who's got to look at a lot of things at once or analytics and CRM and an ad you're building all up at the same time. It just even computer like just setting up the laptop, which takes five seconds. But it's oh just yeah, I mean another like friction point of like ugh. I got one of these old old people <laughs> keyboards with the super and and it took me a yeah, it I took me a good two one. weeks to be like typing normal again in terms of my normal speed because it just felt different. Yeah. 
Oh, Becca's is fancy. It's small. Yeah. Apple. Sometimes one. I have to put it on my. All right. So that's the new question of the week. Oh my gosh. Totally forgot. We do have two voicemails. Oh, man. Remember, you can call in with questions or comments about this episode or any other to 404 369 2595 or email them to show at doyouconvert.com. Let's go ahead and listen to the first voicemail. Let's listen. I'm excited. Now, start the change through prayer. Press one now for prayer or three to be disconnected. Mm. Press one for prayer now. Now. <laughs> now, now, now. Sounds like a sales trainer um, helping you oh, sell gosh. more homes. I don't know how you online salespeople do it with all these crazy voicemails. Three. So voicemail number two. And maybe this person is asking for prayer. Well, I'm not really sure what they're saying, but let's listen in. So, if you yeah, speak, there you go. Two callers. Yeah, if you we appreciate those calls. listening. Let us know. <laughs> I get t-shirts. But right? we don't know how to help either one of you, unfortunately. So, if anyone else would like to call in with questions or comments about this episode or any others. 404-369-2595. Or you can email us to show at doyouconvert.com. And if you send me an email to show at doyouconvert.com that says, press one for prayer, I will send you a gift card of an unknown denomination to Amazon, as long as I've got your email address. Could, right? Could be a lot. We'll see who listens all the way through <laughs> to the end. That's definitely it for this week's episode. For published articles, blog posts, videos, and more, check out doyouconvert.com. It's also the best way to find out how to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and everywhere else we are online because you're going to want to know all the details about all three of the upcoming fall events that some of you already got an email about. We've got three events, two of which are brand new, never been done before coming up this fall that you're going to want to stay in the loop on. All right. We'll see you next week, everyone. Bye. Bye.